Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of For What It's Worth. I think we're up to episode six now, and for those of you who don't know, this is a podcast where I talk about five topics that absolutely no one asked me to talk about, but yet I'm still here and I'm still doing it. Uh, I've got five pretty pretty varied random topics today, but I think all of them are pseudo-interesting, at least to some degree. At least they're interesting to me. Let's go straight to point number one, which is an update on my newsletter. I wrote a blog post last week that I was threatening, I've been threatening for years to do a newsletter because I've been telling clients in particular, not clients in the sense of people who are paying me things, but just people who are asking for advice, especially when it comes to putting a book out into the world. And I've said for the last five years that I thought there was a power in an email newsletter that went beyond social media. It was different than social media. And that people that I'd seen pre-selling and selling books via email newsletters, this was a really interesting topic. And I also ran into a bunch of, um, I will call them a gaggle, a, a group of women who were very successful bloggers, who were very successful on social media. This was a couple of years ago. But they had mentioned to me that there was a return to these email newsletters, that the, the newsletter gave them a very specific connection to their audience at a different level than social. And it really stuck with me because these were wildly successful women. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Everybody I know is poo-pooing newsletters or saying that's old. That's the old way of doing things, but I really don't think it is. So I made this threat that I was going to start a newsletter because hundreds and hundreds of people have signed up to receive my newsletter, but I've never actually sent one. And that in itself was like, I looked at this, 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 this count of people and I went, wow, that's a lot of people. Like maybe I should do a newsletter, but here's what I've come to realize. And this is the, this is the, 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 the tricky part. And I'm still going to do a newsletter, but it's not going to be a classic or traditional newsletter. Because the simple point is, I'm not selling anything. And the newsletters that I get from people who are the best, most interesting newsletters, and they vary in format, they vary in design, and they vary in the directness at which they are trying to sell me something, I'm not selling anything. So I don't, I'm not trying to get you to buy my images. I'm not trying to get you to subscribe to me. I'm not trying to get you to buy software. I'm not teaching workshops. I'm not doing anything. So when it comes to the newsletter, most of the newsletters I receive that I think are really good that I pay attention to, all of these people are in some way, shape, or form trying to sell me something. So this has really been sort of the crux for me, the problem of saying, what the hell am I going to do? So I came up with two things. The first is I spent the, the vast majority of my career making pictures in the analog way. So I came up with film and I shot film for most of my career. And then when digital came along, as many of you know, I had this very much love-hate relationship with it. I still like it in some ways, but I, I still prefer to shoot uh, dig, uh, film. But the digital fits my lifestyle more than the film does. And that's why I'm using digital. So I thought, okay, well, um, I will just post a single image in my newsletter and I will tell the story of the image, but not in the nuts and bolts way. I will actually give you the running dialogue that was happening in my head as I made the image. And I do this from time to time. And when I tend to do this, there tends to be a favorable response to this kind of, of sharing images. And I thought, well, I'll just say that it's an analog image because that's the bulk of my archive. And I've got plenty of work I can go back to that people probably haven't seen and I can go that route. And then I thought, well, but then what if I make something with digital and it's good and it's, I think it's interesting and people might learn something, then I shouldn't just, you know, say, okay. So I think I'm just going to post a single image. And if it's film, it's film. If it's analog, it's analog. There are so many, and we're going to, this is going to get to something I'm going to talk about in a, in a subsequent uh, point here, but there are so many analog specific 
outlets out there today. There are literally dozens and dozens and dozens. I can't keep up, but I did just find a new one that I like that I'm going to share with you in a minute. So that is, uh, that is the first part of my newsletter. The second thing is what you guys don't know is that for the last probably five, six years, every Friday, I send an email to the entire Blurb staff, and it's called Creative Friday. And Creative Friday is simply the creative things that I have encountered during the week that I think would be interesting to the staff at Blurb. Um, sometimes it's something that I'm working on, but the vast majority of the time it's things that you are working on. It could be a project, it could be a business story, it could be a, uh, a book that sold, a book that didn't sell, a book that got published, a book that didn't get published. It has, sometimes it relates to Blurb, many times it doesn't. It's just, hey, look, this is interesting. Maybe you find this interesting as well. And when I first started sending out this email, there really weren't that many people listening or reading it. Um, you know, I would get no responses whatsoever. But over the years, it's sort of built up, and people that I respect have reached out and said, hey, I really like this. And someone reached out today and said, well, what about using this as your newsletter? Like, why don't you take the same thing that you're doing for us at Blurb and just do it for a wider audience? And I thought, you know, that's probably not such a bad idea. Um, and so that would be the second part. Because again, if I was trying to sell you something, if I was teaching workshops or I was selling my photographs or whatever, the newsletter is actually a lot easier to do. But I am not doing that. Uh, on a side, completely unrelated note. So the first point here was the newsletter update. But point 1A is that my laptop is now locking up every time it goes to sleep. So I'm saying this for your entertainment reasons only. Because as all of you know, any electronic device I touch breaks and breaks really quickly and dramatically. And this has been going on since I was in elementary school. So this is nothing new and it's not something I'm inventing. It's watches, it's cameras, it's computers, it's calculators, it's whatever. Um, I think my body puts off a death ray, which I've talked about many times before. And the latest thing is now my laptop is locked up. It's the third time in the last five minutes. So what I was going to try to talk to you about and show you online, I'm going to have to do off the top of my head because I can no longer look at it. Okay, then. Moving on, we've got my uh, newsletter update, which I'm sure all of you are just feverishly waiting for out there. Again, no one asked me for that, but you're going to get one eventually. And I can't wait for the first one to go out because a lot of people signed up years ago. They've totally forgotten they signed up, and there'll be so much anger and hatred coming back at me like, how dare you send me this thing? Can't wait for that moment. So there's the, the second point I want to make today. First point, newsletter. Second point are just a couple of photographers that you should know about. And again, I can't see them anymore on my computer. All I see is a locked screen that says Dan's MacBook Pro. And uh, to get it restarted, I have to basically take a car battery and shock my laptop back to life. Two photographers you should know about. The first I found last week through LinkedIn. And the name is S-I-A-N Davey, D-A-V-E-Y. She is a female photographer in, I want to say, the UK. Her first name is S-I-A-N, and there's a little triangle over the A. And frankly, I don't know how to pronounce that. So instead of me butchering the pronunciation, I'm just going to give you the spelling of that. S-I-A-N, Davey, D-A-V-E-Y. Now, why do I like her? Never met her, didn't know about her until a few days ago. Uh, she's a portrait photographer and photographs mainly children, starting with her own children, and then has photographed and branched out and done projects on, on other things, but um, lots of projects revolving around kids and teens and things like that. Now, normally I would not go after people or have expressed that much interest in people who are shooting portraits of children. I did that myself for many years, and um, it's just you know not something I'm that interested in. However, her work is absolutely beautiful. It's gorgeous. It is like painterly in a way that is very uncommon. And there's a connection 
with her in the subject matter and the subjects, that is very uncommon as well. There is a depth and a level of connection that you don't often see. The other thing that I really liked about her was she is what I is shooting what I think is a Mamiya 7 and color negative film. And when you've looked at so much digital over the past few years and you see someone come along who's shooting that camera, which is a completely badass camera that gives a very specific look and that color negative gives a very specific look. When you see it, it is so gorgeous. It is so much more beautiful than the digital photographs I see. Even the really amazing content-wise digital portraiture pictures, which I've shot a million of myself, the film is just gorgeous in a way that I don't see ever see with digital. So the first image that pops up in this documentary film, and I will link to the documentary film for her because it's 12 minutes long, which in itself is a complete novel novelty that anyone would create a, a, a profile of a photographer that's 12 minutes long because the rule of thumb now is a minute 30 is the cutoff point for, for these kind of things. So 12 minutes, it's worth your 12 minutes by far. And just the first, the single photograph that comes up is a girl in a stream, barefoot, standing in the stream, uh, in a white shirt, bending over to do something, you know, pick up a rock or something. And there's a shaft of light coming through that's hitting her. My first thought when I saw it was tricky exposure, got a white shirt in direct sunlight and then deep shadow. So you've got to make sure you play that, uh, that exposure correctly. But my second thought was if I had a child and I don't, but if this, if this girl was my child and I only had a single image of her ever, that was on the wall that was representative of her. And I had that image from Cyan or Sean or whatever. I'm not sure how you pronounce her name. I would be happy. That's enough. I don't need 50 pictures. I don't need a thousand pictures. I don't need books and books and books of pictures. I just need something that's perfect. And that to me was as close to perfect as I've, as I've seen. So she is definitely worth your time and money to invest, especially if you are looking at shooting portraits and also learning about connecting to a subject and having being able to speak about your work. Uh, really fantastic piece. I don't know who made the film, but whoever did, kudos, well, well done. The second photographer I want to talk about in point number two is a guy named Scott Dalton. And Scott is, a, is someone I went to school with at the University of Texas in Austin back in the day. And... Um, I've been able to keep in touch with him over the years, not not touch on a regular basis, but um, he's a super relaxed, easy guy to be around and has an interesting history in photography. So we both got degrees at the same time. I think we graduated at about the same time, maybe a semester apart. I don't honestly remember. But Scott uh, ended up in Latin America for initially for wire services and then became a, um, a basically a freelancer doing all kinds of work based in all over the place in Latin America. I think Mexico, Panama, uh, Colombia in particular, and has just made uh, a career out of doing essays. And what I like about what he's done is, one, the dedication to do what he's doing, where he's doing it, which is not easy. So, and especially, you know, going into these scenarios where it, during the time he was based in some of these countries, there were a lot of troubles happening. And so it's not exactly the safest thing in the world. There's not exactly, you know, tons and tons of clients clamoring for this kind of stuff. But he took the time and the energy and the years to pour into going to these places. You know, he worked in all over Colombia. He did a film called La Sierra, which is about um, uh, one of the drug cartels in, um, I want to say it's Cali or one of the other cities outside of Bogota. And it's a documentary film, and he basically moved into the community to do the film. And I mean, I'm looking at it thinking, Jesus, dude, you know, you're going to stick stick out like a sore thumb, and this could go really well, or this could end poorly. So 
Um, I really like his work. I think it's thoughtful. Um, I want to say he has a master's uh, also as well in photography. And what I like is that he can do a variety of different things. So he's got he's got portraiture, he's got reportage, he can shoot commercial, he can do motion, he can do a lot of these things well. And he's just a, a cool guy that's not um, you know doesn't have a whole lot of like ego overriding anything that he's doing. But these are just people that I want to bring your attention to that if you haven't seen their work, and again, I'll link out to both Scott and, um, and the portrait photographer as well. So worth your time. Okay, so I'm, I'm moving on here. The, next, the third point, I'm going to change the order here. Third point, very quickly, is last night I was doing some research on zines, and um, I was on Instagram and I found this thing called Analog Forever Zine. Now, if you do a quick search for zines on, on Instagram, you're going to find way more than you can possibly handle. And there's a fair number that are analog specific. So I think perhaps we've reached the saturation point of analog specific things. I don't know. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. But I thought what these guys were doing looked really interesting and well done and thought out and designed well. And the people who are behind it have credentials and it just looks interesting. And so I just wanted to bring your attention to that analog, analog forever zine. Their, their logo is yellow and black. Uh, and I think it just says like AZ maybe, I don't know, or ANA. I don't know what it is. Don't take my word for it. Look it up and, um, and take a look at some of the work that they're featuring, which I think is pretty decent. Um, I am so happy that people are connecting with analog in this way because I'm old enough to remember 1997 which was the time that Kodak made the DCS 520 and the 560 cameras, which were the first legitimate digital cameras that could do a six-column newspaper photograph, and the 560 could shoot catalog work. And these were the two cameras that broke the camel's back, so to speak, in terms of analog, because all of a sudden there was no excuse anymore of quality. Quality was no longer the, the primary issue. And so what happened in 97 immediately was the professional photography world suddenly turning around and looking back at analog methodology and saying, this is over, this is done, there's no reason, you have to do this new thing or you will go out of business, you have to do this new thing. And I was living through this as a, as a rep, basically, listening and watching this in horror, thinking, man, that is just not the case. You know, you don't have to do anything. What you have to do is try to make the best work you can possibly make. So I love the fact that we've come back to analog in a really powerful way and that a lot of the younger photographers out there are coming and they're leading the way, which is pretty exciting. It's fired me up to get the Leica and the Blot out again, which is obviously the, the cameras I've made the best work with in my career. But again, the kind of stuff I'm doing now, I'm not trying to, to prove to you I'm a good photographer. I'm just using the camera as a tool to like illustrate other things. And the digital and the Fuji's work amazing for that. Okay, that was the third point. Fourth point is something I stole from the Bhagavad Gita, the book, the Hindu book, that um, scripture book that I just read. So let me preface this point by saying I'm not religious. I've never ha never have been. Uh, I'm not particularly spiritual. I don't think I often have conversations with myself, but I wouldn't call that spirituality. Uh, and so I've read most of the Quran. I've read parts of the Talbot, parts of the Bible. I've read a lot of the um, ideology behind Buddhism, uh, but I'd never touched anything with the Hindus. And so um, I read the Bhagavad Gita, and I was pleasantly surprised at how this book sort of fit into my philosophy about the modern world. So I would read a passage in the Gita, and I would say, oh, that reminds me of so-and-so, or yep, that's happening now, or that's an interesting philosophy. And so the primary thing that I want to focus on today is one point in general, which I found fascinating, which is the task versus reward. 
And so the Gita talks about focusing on the task and forgetting about the reward. You just do what, whatever it is you do, you do it and you don't worry about the reward. And that to me is so much a part of what my life is about, not because of the Gita or because I'm thinking I'm spiritual in any way, but for whatever reason, I've always felt this way. So I look at the website, my shifter site, and I'm featuring most of the time featuring other people. I'm doing interviews. I'm focusing on people's publications. I'm focusing on their websites. I'm drive, trying to drive people to other people, not to myself. And I think when I left photography in 2010, what it did was it finally completely and utterly eliminated the need for reward when I pick up a camera. And, and for me, that was incredibly liberating because even during the times in my career where I was being the most successful, that I was doing the best assignments, there was always a reward at the end of that, which was either I've got to do this really well because the reward needs to be another assignment like this, or the reward needs to be I need an exhibition, or the reward needs to be I need the magazine to run five pages instead of three pages. And so you constantly find yourself looking at that carrot at the end, and the carrot becomes the driving force and not the task at hand. So in 2010, I said, I don't want to be a photographer anymore. Boom, deleted my email account, and I moved on, and then Blurb came and found me. And that's how the last 10 years have transpired. But suddenly with a camera, I didn't have a reward anymore. I just was focused on the task. So I've shot tons of things that nobody's ever seen. And I had no intention of ever showing anybody this stuff. And I probably never will because it's there's no point in it for me now. Other than, you know, oh, you might find this interesting, but I, that's not the driving force behind it. And I'm just wondering for those of you out here, what does this mean to you? Is that something that you find too woo-woo? Is that too, uh, is it too nuts? Are you, is, are, do you think that's the wrong philosophy to look at these things? I have no idea. But it's constantly got me. That book has my head turned inside out at the moment because I absolutely loved it. I'm going to go back and read it a few more times. And, um, and I need to find one that's a little bit more flushed out and in, in, in depth because the translation that I have is, is, was very concise and gave me the, the nuts, the, basically the meat of what the Gita was about. But I know there's so much more that if I had the time, I would, uh, I would dive into it more. Okay. So let's recap before I get to the last point. Cause the last point's very, very short newsletter updates, probably going to be a single image with a story. And then maybe some of the things that I've found during the, during the week slash weeks that uh, I think you might find interesting. Two photographers, point number two, two photographers to follow, Scott Dalton and S-I-A-N Davey, who's a portrait photographer in Europe. Uh, the third point is Analog Forever Zine on Instagram. They're pretty in, pretty interesting what they got going. Uh, no, point number four is task versus reward and how, ironically, the Bhagavad Gita made sense to me. And, and, uh, and I think I filtered the photography part of it through that idea of just focusing on the task and not on the reward. And it's made me incredibly happy over the past 10 years doing projects because I can just focus on being in the field. That's the most fun part, which is historically the only thing I cared about anyway. And the last point is, this is a, a Homer point here. Uh, the Blurb obviously works with Adobe and Lightroom, and the book module in Lightroom links directly to Blurb. Many of you know that. One of the most common complaints that I've heard, you can you could say complaint or demand that I've heard over the past few years is, You've got to get more formats into that module. Well, as of last week, or earlier this week, I should say, um, you now have lay flat books, you have magazines, and you have trade books in uh, Adobe Lightroom. So I use Lightroom all the time for imagery, but I rarely make books through it. It's a pretty streamlined tool, but for what it works for, it's really, really good. And I've seen 
other people use Lightroom so much uh, better than the way that I use it to make books that I looked. And uh, there were a couple books I saw from people like Jared Platt that I looked at and I was like, wow, you did that in Lightroom? That's pretty impressive. Maybe I need to take a look at this again. I'm so used to using the Blurb software and using Adobe InDesign plugin that Lightroom is just for whatever reason not the tool that I choose to make my books in. But man, other people are using it and it's good. And now you have more formats to choose from, which is pretty great. And it is it is super efficient to be able to edit, tweak, and design in the same without leaving the same program. It's an efficient thing. And with software, what you realize immediately when it comes to photography or bookmaking or both is that the key to the entire equation is efficiency. If you're not efficiency with efficient with the software, the software will own you in no time and then you end up spending just far too much time on things. And if you're in a business as a photographer and you're not charging yourself back per hour for your time, um, well, if you are doing that, which is the way you should be, I think, uh, you realize very quickly that you're going backwards financially if you're spending too much time in front of your screen. And so uh, to be able to use Lightroom and design, edit, tweak, boom, in the same program is pretty fantastic. So uh, thank you to Adobe. Thank you to Blurb to keeping that relationship going and improving over the years. So that's it. Any topics you want me to talk about or not talk about, reach out and let me know. And I will be back with another episode. But thank you for tuning into For What It's Worth the podcast that no one asked for.